You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. One thing I've realized is that whatever you magnify becomes the focus. And so as we just sang and we just talked about praise and we just talked about magnifying him, my question this morning would be, what have you been putting your focus on? But I believe as we come into the house of God this morning, he's asked us to magnify him because when we magnify him, what happens? He becomes the focus. So real quick, before I preach, you've got a Pentecostal brother up here. Can somebody just give God praise right now if you've come to magnify and glorify God? Amen. Real quick, before I move forward, I just want to honor uh, and acknowledge the, the former student pastors here at Gateway, uh, Ashley and Craig. So I've never officially met you, but hi, nice to meet you. Come on, you just give it up for them. I think I just saw him have to step out, but we're so glad they're here to worship with us. I am personally uh, so grateful for the investment that you guys have made uh, into this house, and so we're so honored to have you here today uh, with us. Today, we want us to continue our series, Roots, Stories of Renewal, and we're in week four. It's been a great series so far. Uh, We've talked about Abraham, about Ruth, and then uh, Pastor Harry came in clutch last week and talked about Joseph, and it was such a powerful uh, message. And God's really been dealing with Gateway about really the roots of renewal and the genealogy of Christ and how it really comes from the start of how God has, he's been a God of renewal, he is a God of renewal, and he will continue to be a God of renewal. Amen? Amen. And today I have the distinct honor of talking about what is one of my favorite guys in the Bible, and his name is David. Everybody say David. David was the king of Judah and Israel. He is one of the most significant people in the Bible as his reign shaped the nation of Israel in a very impactful way. Jesus himself was named the son of David. David's story occupies much of 1 and 2 Samuel. And because of the time, we can't cover the entire life of David because David did a lot of good things. He was an anointed man of God. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But just to give you a, just a little bit of a backdrop of story, the story of David, he was born into an obscure family in the town of Bethlehem. He was the great-grandson of Ruth and the youngest of eight sons of Jesse. As a child, Jesse appointed him to keep the family sheep, and it was during this time that David developed the great skill in music and fighting since it was his custom to kill any lion or bear that disturbed the flock. David, in fact, saw the hand of the Lord from the beginning of his life, even till he was anointed king. He was even called in 2 Samuel chapter 6, he was called a man after God's own heart. Why was he a man after God's own heart? Paul tells us in Acts uh, 13, he tells in Acts 13, 22, you don't have it on the screen, so don't worry about it. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So how did he become a man after God's heart? He did whatever God told him to do. And a lot of times we overcomplicate things and we try to complicate, how can I be the man or the woman after God's own heart? The, the, really the answer to that is, will you do whatever he tells you to do? 
Will you be the one that will go wherever he tells you to go? Will pray whatever he tells you to pray? Will say whatever he tells you to say? David would do anything that God would ask him to do. And that's how he found favor in the sight of God. David was a humble man. He was a reverent man. He was a respectful man. He was a loving man. He was a devoted man. He was a faithful man. He was obedient. But the key, and that's what we'll talk about today, is he was a repentant man. He was a repentant man. It is no doubt that from his time as a shepherd boy until he was anointed king that God did amazing things. He did amazing things from the time that he was protecting the sheep from the lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, that's a wizard of Oz. From the time that he was protecting uh, the, the sheep and the flock to the time that he was told to go out and to, be the, to, to play the instruments while Saul was being oppressed by the spirits and ended up giving him a promotion in the house and he became the armor bearer to Saul. I mean, from moment, from the time he was born to the time that he was anointed king, God used him. God had favor on his life. God did something amazing in his life. And I wanna tell you the reason why is because he's availed himself and his will and his emotions. He availed himself to God. He didn't care what people thought. I'll tell you what, David was a dancer. Now, I don't know what type of moves he busted, but as a youth pastor, I know the moves that our kids are dancing now, and I just don't think David did that. But I do think he, think that he was dancing in the streets. What, why was he dancing in the streets? Because he was thankful of what God has done in his life and what God is doing in his life. And sometimes I think we just need to loosen up a little bit and dance like David danced. Because you, you know why he danced? Because he was excited about the miracles. He was excited about the victories. And sometimes I think we get so caught up on what we are going through that we forget about dancing for what he's already done. Oh, I'm getting heated up in here. But I just feel like I need some people at Gateway that just need to learn to dance in the middle of your trouble. Dance in the middle of your pain. Dance in the middle of your confusion. Because if you can dance when it's real bad, then baby, when you dance when it's real good, God will begin to bring something into your life. And you'll look and say, man, look what the Lord has done in my life. Can somebody at Gateway just take about 15 seconds and give God praise if he's brought you out of something? I'll preach even if you just look at me. <laughs> even David, after being the one that was, was brought to armor bearer, everybody knows this story, I feel like, when he went out to be the little man that went against the big man called Goliath, and, and people were like, you're out of your mind, bro. Like, what is your deal that you think you can do? But he said, well, you gotta realize something. I'm not coming with sword or spear. I'm coming in the name of Jesus, and the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the Bible says they that run into it are saved. And so he realized who he was coming in. When you have giants in your life, who, who are you coming on behalf of? Because if you're coming on behalf of yourself, you only have your strength. But if you come on behalf of who God is in your life, then you have all the strength in the world. It doesn't matter if people have failed before. And I got to tell somebody in this room, it doesn't mean that, it, that because past generations have failed in your life and because past generations had these issues and that issues that God can't break it in your life. Listen, he can break whatever you surrender to him. He can break it. I hadn't even got to the main part of my message, but I'm getting there. Amen. 
He killed the lions, tigers, and bears. He was the man that helped Saul. He was the one that saw Goliath go down to the ground and even cut his head off to prove that he has the victory. But then there was another one in in Ziklag. If you know about that, right before he became king of Israel, uh, the Amalekites came and and they, they messed up Ziklag. They took everything out. They took his family and his possessions. And he looked around and said, well, what in the world, God, am I gonna do? He said, I want you to pursue and recover all. And he saw a victory. Why? Because he didn't stop. He was a man after God's own heart. Whatever he was asked to do, he did it. One great thing I like about that text is it says that David grabbed a thing called an ephod. An ephod is a garment of praise. One thing I realized about David from the beginning of his life to the end is he knew how to dance before God and he knew how to praise God no matter what the circumstance was. What happens if your family gets taken? What happens if all your possessions you lose? What happens if the stock market goes down? What happens if you lose everything in your bank account? Will you still say, God, give me an ephod? Give me my garment of praise. Give, I'm going to dance anyhow. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's very hard to praise him when everything's not going my way. But David found that he could ask for an ephod in the middle of Ziklag being destroyed. But yet God pursued, allowed him to pursue, and he recovered all. We find seven chapters later in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that, he, that he, he danced before the Lord, what, with his ephod. You're not dancing for no reason. You're dancing with a garment of praise because if he's been faithful then, what, he's going to be faithful now. He's going to be faithful in the future. And I wanted to paint this picture to you that David was a man after God's own heart and he did great things, but he made a mistake. Well, you say, well, why in the world could he be a man after God's own heart? Because he made a mistake. That's not fair. He shouldn't be a man after God. Because what I love about God is he doesn't magnify the mistake in your life when you surrender. He magnifies his power of his grace and his mercy and his love that if you'll come to him with whatever it is, he'll restore you. He'll use you. He will change your life. Thank you for the amen, brother. I appreciate that. I live for the amens. However, there was a specific time, and I want to talk today about David and Bathsheba. We find that in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. It says in this, in the spring of the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and, and the whole Israel army, Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem one evening. David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. This story is, in fact, one of Israel's most notable passages on sin and consequences. However, I'm so thankful that when we surrender to God, sin and consequences don't have the last say. There has to be somebody in this room that agrees with me that you're thankful that sin and consequences and the mistakes we make and the wrong turns that we make are not the last say when we surrender our life to God. Sin doesn't have, the, has to, have to have the last say. The, the, the divorce doesn't have to have the last say. Your, your issues in your house with anxiety and depression don't have to have the last say. If you'll surrender your life to God and say, God, I'm not much, but when you come into my life, you can change and rearrange and use me anyhow. 
This was a story where God restored David and where David experienced the compassionate grace and mercy of God. In this story, we find three components, sin, repentance, and forgiveness. Now, maybe today when, when, we, when we conversate today and we talk, maybe it's not a sin that you're dealing with. Maybe it's just something that you've been battling and you've been struggling with and you need renewal and restoration to come into your life. So maybe it is a sin. Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe it is something that you need God to do in your life as it pertains to that. But maybe it's just that depression or that anxiety or that fear or or, or addictions and stuff that are just hanging behind you and you've tried your best to get away. You've tried your best to see freedom and you're saying, God, when in the world, why in the world do I feel this? You have to avail your life. And when you avail your life to him, It doesn't matter what the enemy says. It doesn't matter what the adversary says. When he forgives you, he forgives you. Now, I know humans can't forget stuff. Anybody got an amen in this room? There's people remind you of the stuff you did 54 years ago. You're retired and living your best life, and they're reminding you of the stuff you did back in the day. But there's a God that I serve that the Bible says he throws into the sea of forgetfulness. He remembers it no more. So what you got to do is you, start, you got to stop caring about what people think or say about you because they don't know the blood that was shed on the cross that wiped all that stuff away. And so they can keep talking, but you just keep living because when God forgives you, he forgives you. Once he finds out that Bathsheba's pregnant, David obviously goes into panic mode because of his mistake and is trying to cover up his mistake. Because at the heart of the matter, he knows he messed up. That's amazing in itself. Is that David wasn't going around doing this with Bathsheba and then just, oh, you know what? He realized why he had to cover it up. Because as a man of God's own heart, he knows when he makes a mistake. He knows when he needs renewal. But unfortunately, the power that he was walking in as the king of Israel, he had an opportunity to be able to cover it up because the same way that he was able to call her down from the roof and and sleep with her was the same way that he could use his power to cover up the sin. He was trying to get her husband dead. He, was, he sent Joab a letter and said, send Uriah back to me. And what I want to tell you is the enemy will, will, will mistake in your mind. He will, he will cause you to think that the same way that you covered up, the same way that you sinned is the same way you can cover it up. But what I, what I learned is that it's about to come to light whether you like it or not. And that's not a bad thing because you know why? Jesus is the light. And if it, if it lit up, it's because you brought it to the right person. Oh, that's good whether you like it or not. It's okay to have something come to light when the light is Jesus himself. Because he doesn't take things out of your life, expose you to kill you and dispose you, but he exposes you so that he can reveal it and heal it so that you don't have to look back and say, man, I can't believe I made a mistake. No, you can look back and say, wow, that's the God I serve, the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of love, the God of forgiveness, the God of restoration, the God of redemption. The reason why David also realized that this was a big boo-boo that he made was that in the Old Testament, personal sin resulted in corporate guilt. When an Israelite sinned, the guilt contributed to the contamination of the sanctuary, which made the entire community responsible. Think about that. If you make a mistake, all of Williamson County is going to find out. 
At this point, probably Facebook will tell them. I mean, I don't know. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever else. I mean, I'm sure something's going to come up out of it. But what I want to tell you is back in the Old Testament, everybody was responsible for your mistake. That's pretty crazy to think. And so, of course, David's coming around like, man, I got to kill this brother, and, and I got to do this, and I got to do that, because nobody needs to find out that I just did that. And he's just freaking out, and he's nervous. But at the end of the day, he realized that the God that served and used him, the God that brought him out before is the God that can save him, the God that can redeem him, the God that can restore him, the God that can forgive him, and he can take away the guilt and the shame. And what he realizes, he was trying to cover up his sin, not knowing that God has already started to do a work in his heart and his life. And so Bathsheba is pregnant. He's freaking out. He's sending out letters. Uriah's like, no, I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going into my house to sleep with my wife so you can set me up. I'm going back to the army. And David's like, oh, that plan didn't work out. And now what am I going to do now? And, and then Nathan shows up in chapter 12 and tells him, listen, there's this man. I mean, he just starts telling him. And all of a sudden, come to find out, Nathan is talking about David. David says, what do you mean God's not happy? Well, here you go. You're right. I have sinned. And the moment he said, I have sinned, what he was saying is, I recognize that I made a mistake. And from that moment until what I'm going to tell you in a second of the redeeming and the forgiveness and the redemption of God and the restoration of God, when he identified the mistake, when he identified the problem, he was able to focus on the solution, which is the God that he served all along. What I love about God is that I can make a mistake but it doesn't have to define my life. Yes, we're gonna mess up. Yes, we're gonna make mistakes. Yes, we're gonna allow depression and anxiety to have more of a say than it should. But what I want to tell you, it doesn't have to be the final word on our life. We can allow God to have the final say in our family and the final say in our life and the final say in our mind. We have a choice to make. Listen, I, I it's, it's, I mean, Pastor Troy asked me to preach, and I didn't realize until now that I was preaching on sin. I mean, he could have had, I wish you'd have been the one to talk on sin. But anyways, today, what I realize is this. You can't talk about grace if you're not willing to talk about sin. Back to the message. <laughs> and so in 2 Samuel, um, 2 Samuel 11, 6 through 11, David sent his word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how, how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. He didn't care about the war. He cared about how he could set up a cover-up. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Go, Uriah left the palace and gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all the master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife as surely as you live. I will not do such a thing. What I realize is the enemy doesn't attack us in our strengths. He attacks us in our weaknesses. But if we are not careful, he'll use our strengths as the power that David had as an enemy to, you, to a tool to make us vulnerable to our weaknesses as we see with David. He had the power as king. That was a strength of his. 
And Bathsheba realized that if she said no, she would be saying no to the king. And then sometimes when you say no to the king, you may not live past that moment of saying no. And so she had pressure on her. He had power. And it was this abuse of power was the root of the sin. We focus on the fact that Bathsheba was a part of the sin that he committed, but the fact is it came from abuse of power. If he couldn't call a lady down and her come to him, then he wouldn't have done it, but he did it because he had the power. And what? He got distracted. That's what the enemy uses in our life. He uses anything that we're facing as a distraction from the real purpose in our life. David was a great man, but he got distracted. Everybody was at war. He was chilling on the recliner. Lazy Boy was the brand. And he was just having a good old time. He looked up and, and he saw something that distracted him from who he knows God has called him to be. Maybe it's not a sin in your life, but what is distracting you from the purpose that God wants to fulfill in your life? As an honor of preaching to students for 15 years as youth pastor, one thing I realized is this. They all have a purpose, but they all don't know that they have a purpose. And the reason why they don't know that is because there's, a, there's an enemy that's fighting against their mind and with depression and anxiety and, and self-worth and all these things that makes them feel that they're not worthy to come to the throne. But what I have to tell somebody, to some parents and to some grandparents, there's a generation that's rising up. I just need to take five seconds and declare that, that there's a generation that is going to know who they are and they are going to walk in the fulfillment of the purpose of God because when we understand that there is a generation coming, we have to bind up the enemy that's binding them up in their mind. David was caught up in the flesh. I think we can all relate. No, it may not take us to sin, but sometimes we allow flesh to speak louder than the spirit. Why? Because we're human. We can't forget in this room that we are humans. But we also can't forget that we're humans that were bought with a price. There was a price tag, but you didn't have to pay it. But God sent a, a man named Jesus, his only son, to a cross. It was a cruel death. It was a bloody death. It was a death that all of us should have deserved, but he took it. He, the Bible even says that he, was, he became sin so that those that did sin didn't have to know it. And what I want to tell you is this. He died a cruel death, but he didn't stay in the grave. And that's the reason why he didn't stay in the grave. You don't have to stay in your grave. You don't have to stay in depression. You don't have to stay in anxiety. You don't have to stay in fear. You don't have to stay in this addiction because just like Jesus came out on the third day with the tomb rolled away, the stone rolled away, you can come out and believe in and receive the forgiveness and the mercy of God and the grace of God and the redemption of God and the restoration of God. The enemy is good at flaunting things in front of us that are an enemy to our weaknesses. If we're not careful, we'll stumble and fall, not because we're bad people, but because we're distracted. The enemy is a master of creating distractions. He's a master of creating distractions. He wants to distract us from what God is doing and wants to do in us. Distractions are deterrences with a purpose. He wants to get us away from the, the main thing. He wants to get us away from the focus of our relationship with God. And if he can get us more down and depressed and, and feeling like we have no future, then he can get us in a position where we start to get vulnerable to the weaknesses in our life. David repented. 
So there's a sin on the scene. But there was something even more powerful. David realized that he couldn't do nothing with the sin, but there was one that could. And when he repented of the sin, when he repented of the mistake, God showed him the love and the mercy. David wrote four psalms after his affair with Bathsheba. You know the Bible and you know that David was a great writer. He wrote four psalms, 32, 51, 86, and 122. But I want to draw us our attention to my favorite really is Psalm 51, 1 through 12. I'm going to read it to us. Think about David. He just made a mistake. He realizes that God wants to forgive him and, and God wants to redeem him. And he begins to write. And I want you to think uh, back in the day as if David was writing. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in my womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And these are the three favorite verses right here. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God forgave David, but there was a consequence that came even in the midst of this forgiveness. Him and Bathsheba lost that first child. And although we know the redeeming love of God and we know the grace and mercy of God, sometimes we probably have family members and we probably maybe have experienced in our own self that sometimes the consequences still come after the sin. But we have to, 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 to realize that punishment is different than consequences. Punishment would be God never forgave him. God never loved him. God didn't care. And so God is just going to leave him to just cry by himself and just die a painful death, just worried about his sin. But no, no, no. That's consequences. You know what? Yeah, you lost your son. Yeah, you made a big mistake but I want to heighten my love for you. I want to magnify the fact that even though a consequence came, I'm gonna forgive you. I'm gonna give you grace and mercy and love because you are still a man after my own heart. Yeah, you, you killed the lions and tigers and bears. Yeah, you killed Goliath. Yeah, you've done so many things and yeah, you made a mistake, but I loved you then and I love you now. I'm redeeming you then and I'm redeeming you now because that's what God does. Even though there's consequences, he forgives, he loves and he brings back. 
God will never stop hugging you in the spirit if you allow him to, no matter how many mistakes you make, no matter how many times you fail, how many times you've allowed depression to speak louder than his word, no matter what the case may be, when you come running to the father, the father will open up his arms and say, come here, son, come here, daughter. I love you. I care about you. My grace is sufficient. My strength is perfect in the time of your weakness. I love you. One thing I realized about being a dad of three boys is that even when they do stuff that I don't like, like destroying my garage after I cleaned it, I mean, within 10 minutes, there are, there are Nerf guns all over the community. I mean, I'm going into the main street, and I mean, there's darts, and, and I'm like, Ethan, I'm gonna, I mean, I, I just, I have to pray. But what I re, one thing I realize is that he gets older, it's, it, that's nothing compared to what maybe he will deal with when he gets older and the sin and all that and stuff. The devil starts fighting him and all that. And what I realize is this, nothing will ever stop me from being their dad. They can always run to me and call me dad. Why? Because no matter how many mistakes that they make, no matter how many times they fall, no matter how many times that they have, have, have hurt me or maybe have made me disappointed, they'll never stop being my sons. I'll never stop being their dad. I love them more then than I would have before they made the mistake. And that's the God that I want to talk about today, that you may have mistakes, you may have things that you've dealt with, you may have things that you've been dealing with, but Father God loves you more now than he did before you made the mistake. If you believe that, can I just get an amen in the room if you're thankful that God loves you now more? You can't do anything for him to stop wanting to be your dad. And somebody needs to hear that in this room right now. That his restoring power, his redeeming love, his grace and his mercy is a lot stronger than the sting of sin if you allow it to be. I guarantee you we can pull people around this room right now and you can secretly testify of the goodness of God where grace can come running into your life when it was at one of your lowest points and you can testify to the person next to you that God didn't magnify your sin, he magnified his grace. Whew. 2 Samuel 12, 24 through 25 tells us this. So obviously they lost their first child. But I think the way God wanted to show them, you know what, I forgive you. And the way I want to show you that I forgive you and I love you is that you're going to have another son coming. And his name's going to be Solomon. And we read that. In 2 Samuel 12, 24 through 25, it says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. She bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. God wants to strengthen every area of your walk with him. Today we were talking about David and Bathsheba as a sin, but maybe it's not a sin. You know one of the biggest things that I think the enemy uses as a distraction for a Christian? Is busyness. It doesn't mean that we don't love God and that we don't cherish our relationship with God and we don't, we don't surrender to him daily, but sometimes we can get so busy doing everything else that we don't make time for God. 
I know you're all going to look at me, but I know there's amens in the spirit. Because all of us in this room can get busy. All of us can focus on everything else but the one that truly matters. But then when things happen real bad, we come running to them. But what I love about God's grace is he doesn't care about how busy you were and about how many times you didn't focus on him. I think he's like a dad when a son runs or a child runs to him when daddy walks home. I think he's always so excited to know that your arms are open and you're running back to the father. It may have taken a while, but at least you're running back to the father. You may have done some things that you should have done, but at least you're running back to the father. Because when you run back to the father, you get to have what the father has. And that's love and that's mercy and that's grace and that's peace and that's redemption and that's restoration and that's power. And I just wonder in this room, is anybody thankful that when you run to the father, you get to have what the Father has. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something that you've been just pushing down and saying, God, we'll deal with this another day. But maybe he's saying, no, in this time of renewal at Gateway, I want to deal with it now. Not to expose you, but to heal you. Because when I, can expo- when I can heal it, I can take you to levels of me that I've never, you've never been before. In preparing this message, the Holy Spirit pressed on my heart that many of us just need to make a fresh commitment back to our first love. The team can come. A fresh commitment back to our first love. I want you to do something for me in this room. Those that have given their heart to Jesus, just think about that time when you first gave him your heart. That very moment when you surrendered your life to him. And think about the passion and the the goodness and how much you just felt so loved and you felt so good and you just felt the presence of God so heavy on you. He says, I want you to get back to that. I don't want you just to visit those feelings, but I want you to live in that same excitement, that same passion, that if I did it then, I can continue to do it now. I can continue to wrap my arms around you. I can continue to love you and give you grace and give you mercy and give you restoration and give you renewal. We find in Psalm 51, 12, when David is even asking this, he says, restore to me. In other words, if something needs to be restored, that means it's been deplenished. It's been, it needs to be restored, which means it needs to be brought back, which may have meant that it has faded a little bit. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In the process of renewal in our life, God wants to restore the joy of his salvation again. That even when we make mistakes, even when we have, we feel like life is caving it down in on us, that we can still have the joy of our salvation and still have the joy in our life. That you know what? It may not feel like what I want it to feel like right now, but he is still a good God. He's still a God that loves me. He's still a God that is a God of mercy. There is nothing that God can't restore. I said there is nothing, nothing that God can't restore. 
even that hurt, whew, that pain, maybe even that bitterness that you're carrying in the room, there's nothing that God can't restore. There's nothing that God can't restore. But the key to that restoration is a word that a lot of us have a hard time dealing with, and that's surrender. In our desire for restoration, there has to be two things, a turning away, which is repentance, and a turning to, which is surrender. David had a turning away from his sin, and he had a turning to the Father, which is surrender. It may not be a sin that you're repenting from, but the repentance and the surrender leads to restoration. There is nothing that has caused you to be too distant from God that He won't restore you and bring you back. You know why He can bring you back? Because He's the builder. He's the one that created you. You're not asking some God that doesn't know how to recreate. You're not asking some God that didn't create you from birth. No, you're, we're talking about a God that can restore because it's a God that created us. And because he created us, he can define us and redefine us. So the action points today for restoration, and we're gonna give you an opportunity in the altar, is to turn away from it, to surrender to God wherever it is, and then the last one is to rest. Well, Pastor Ryan, what do I rest? Rest in his love, rest in his forgiveness, rest in his grace, and rest in his peace. The reason why you can do these things and you can believe is because he's the original builder and the original builders are the ones that can restore. The original builder is the one that can restore. In a remote Swiss village stands a beautiful church, Mountain Valley Cathedral. It has high pillars and magnificent stained glass windows. But what makes it special is the most beautiful pipe organ in the whole region. People would come from a far off lands just to hear the lovely tunes of this organ. But one day something went wrong with the pipe organ. It released the wrong tones and sounds of disharmony. Musicians and experts from around the world had tried to repair it. No one could find the fault. It was made unique, customized, and no one really knew how to fix it. They gave up. After some time, one old man came and he asked, why wasn't the pipe organ used? It's not playing right, says the church staff. He said, let me try. Since it's been lying there, the staff reluctantly agreed to let the old man try his hand at it. For two days, the old man worked in almost total silence. The church worker was, in fact, getting a bit nervous. Then on the third day at noon, suddenly the music came. The pipe organ gives off the beat, the best music after so many years. The people in the village heard the beautiful music they came to the church to see. This old man was playing at the organ 
After he finished, one man asked, how did you fix it? How did you manage to restore this magnificent instrument when even the world's experts could not? The old man said, it was I who built this organ 50 years ago. I created it, and now I have restored it. Many of you in this place, you've been searching for everything else and you've been looking around and saying, why in the world is it so bad? And God is saying, no, come to me because I'm the original builder. I'm the one that created you and I'm the one that is going to sustain you in your purpose. But there were two very powerful things. Is that it says this man was working on the organ in silence. Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, God, why are you so quiet? Are you hearing my prayers? Do you care about me and my family? Why are you so silent right now? I need an answer. I need to hear from you. I need a miracle. And all while you're praying these things, God is at work. God is moving on the heart of man. Move, God is moving in your marriage. God is moving in your family. God is moving. And all while you're worried about while he's not there, he's actually more there than he's ever been before. And I don't know in this room what you come with, but God's too God, not, God, God is too good not to renew it and restore it and, and bring it back to life. God's not interested in bringing you back to the faith you used to have. He says, I want to bring you to a faith that you've never had before. But are you willing to surrender? Stand your feet in this room if you can. As always, we have communion as a way of response and we're going to worship, but I just know in this room, if you have something you need God to restore, Maybe it's a hurt. Maybe it's wounds and scars. One thing I realize is God is not, he doesn't take scars away. Why? Because it, it's used as a testimony of how faithful God is. That's why if many of you went through memory lane right now and you thought about all the good things that God did, you then begin to think, he may not have taken away the scar but he took away the sting of the scar. The scar doesn't hurt anymore, but it reminds you of the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. There's nothing I can or can't do that escapes me from this grace and this goodness. But when I surrender my heart and my life and my marriage and my future to him, he comes running like a father after the son and daughter. Because when you run back to the original builder, all he knows how to do is restore. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will restore hearts in this place. That you will restore minds in this place. God, that you will bring somebody back to the, 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 the feeling and the passion of their first love. That you'll restore unto us that joy of your salvation again. God, as you move in this place, as we worship, I pray, God, that you will allow us to not leave the same way we came. In Jesus' name, now, what you want to do, I'm going to count to three. 
If you say, Pastor Ryan, I need God to restore something in my life. I need God to renew something in my life. Maybe it's just simply a passion, a renewed passion. When I count to three, I want you to come to this altar and we're going to worship. One, two, three. Come all over the room. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.